three. You know what makes women stupid is college. Jesus was not a bartender. Hi, man. Two. You have lost your mind. Long tongue heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches. And you know that. Say amen right there. One. Let me tell you something, bozo. They'll be selling frosties in hell for this boy. Put on a pair of pink underwear. Amen. I sucked my thumb till I was 14 years of age. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. We're your hosts, Brian Edwards, Nathan Cravat. I am J.C. Groves. Guys, it is the 4th of July weekend. Y'all going to be blowing up some fireworks this weekend? Actually, I just drove into the studio from our neighborhood on Turkey Trot in Anderson, South Carolina, and we had quite the fireworks show. All of my neighbors spent a whole lot of money on fireworks, and I got to enjoy it for free. That's right. Well, JC, all I got was check this out. So I live way out in the woods, and uh, they did our city's fireworks tonight. I didn't get to see anything, but although it's miles away, every few minutes it was like, I mean, just came roaring uh, through the hollers and the hills, man, where I live. And uh, it was, I imagined them to be wonderful. Well, I'm sitting at my house tonight. I never record at home. I always record from my church office, but my wife and kids are in Paris, Texas with her family, and I'm leaving here in just a few hours. We're recording on a Saturday night, and I'm driving to Atlanta to get on a plane. I'm at Word of Life in Scroon Lake, New York, preaching all next week, and so I've got the house by myself, so I am literally sitting at my kitchen table recording tonight. This is great. It never happens because normally it sounds like a daggum daycare in here, Um, but... (laughs) oh yeah. The thing I didn't think about is literally they are blowing up. It sounds like Armageddon happening right outside these (laughs) windows. So if you hear anything, it's not World War III. It's just my neighborhood going to town out here. Well, you know, we should always celebrate freedom, even when we see people use freedom in a way that we disagree with. Like the um, Olympian who won this past week a medal and stood with her back turned, you know, nonchalant and, and looking disgusted. Even then, she was showing the world that we truly are free. Yeah. And contrary to popular opinion, we are very patriotic. We just don't want to turn our worship services into something less than what they were intended to be. In America, worshiping America is definitely less than worshiping God. Amen. That's right. Well, we had an incredible time celebrating the 4th of July this past Sunday. But, man, we got something coming because now... What we look forward to next is an incredible holiday, and that is the RFP Meetup in Bourbon, Missouri. Nathan, tell us all about it. Yeah, we're going to have an RFP Fam Meetup in Bourbon, Missouri, August 26th through the 28th. So if you have any questions about accommodations or anything else, go to the recoveringfundamentalist.org, and on the very first page, we have a tab on the RFP Meetup. I'll tell you something else they can go to recoveringfundamentalist.org for, and that is to get some free life soap. Our sponsor, Free Life Soap, keeps us smelling so good. As a matter of fact, I took a bath already this evening with Free Life Soap, and I'm enjoying smelling myself. (laughs) So go to the recoveringfundamentalist.org, click on the Free Life Soap tab, use your promo code RFP, and you will get a whopping 20% off of your order. Yeah, you will. Miss McCribbin sent me two bars of my favorite one right here. It's Hang 10. It is. It was the coastal smell. Man, that is the smell of summer right there. I love it. Hang 10 
Free Life Soap. We love Miss McCribbin. Hey, guys, I'm excited about tonight as we have been in three weeks now. Uh, we've been talking about music and uh, just our stance on that. We had two incredible guests last week with Kelsey and Chris McClarney. And this week, I'm really excited. Uh, this is a young man uh, that, I'll be honest with you guys, uh, I, I found Brandon Holt. Uh, it was the middle of the night, it felt like, about two years ago. And I was at a really low place. It was a heavy season that I was walking through. And uh, I happened to see on Facebook this Brandon Holt leading worship join live. And so I clicked on it. And it was about two hours. I sat there and just listened and worship. And he sang the song Waymaker going to church. And I messaged him after. And I was like, man, you have no idea how much I needed tonight. You have brought just a newness, a freshness, just joy. And uh, Brandon Holt has just been an incredible encouragement in my life. Uh, Brandon is not from the IFB. He's actually more Pentecostal, charismatic side. Uh, he is part of the RFP fam. Surprise, he's in our group. Uh, but Brandon and his wife, Alyssa, have an incredible ministry. And uh, so, Brandon, welcome to the RFP. Man, thank you so much, JC. I am so honored uh, to be here and be on the podcast. And uh, I find so much joy in the uh, RFP community on Facebook. And uh, I, I've commented on several posts. And uh, I've just enjoyed seeing um, the diversity. And I think that's something we forget about so many times is that you know, we, we all were kind of brought up in our own little pigeonhole, if you will. Yeah. And when you finally break out of that thing that you knew for so long, there's so many people and, and just so much diversity in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about Jesus so much is that uh, he said, I'm going to break all these barriers. There's not going to be Jew and Gentile and Greek yeah. and female. Like we're going to yeah. we're gonna yeah. level this playing field. And uh, we may not have to agree on everything, but as long as we agree on one thing, we can be family. So I'm honored. The only thing I think we disagree with you on is that you're friends with Paul Kidd. <laughs> and, uh, that... <laughs> Listen, that's my guy right there, Dr. Yeah. Bishop Paul Kidd. Come on, somebody. Bishop Paul Kidd, there it is. <laughs> well, Brandon, tell us your story, man. How did you get into leading worship? How did you find Jesus? Just what's your story? Well, I'm a PK, and uh, I was raised uh, in, in a Pentecostal pastor's home. We were part of a denomination called the Church of God. My dad still pastors in that denomination. And, uh, and I have to clarify, it's the one from Cleveland, Tennessee. Some of the other ones are a little weird. God bless them. But was, uh, and then some of y'all are listening going, uh, I think the one from Cleveland's weird. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I grew up, man, uh, you know, a church baby. And I started playing drums in church at around three years old. And uh, it was a natural God-given talent. And, uh, mm. and I'm not talking about like I sat on a drum set and like piddled around. Like I was literally playing for, you know, what we called praise and worship. I was playing for the choir. And, um, and I just was raised in this. And so... Um, I loved music at a young age, and as I grew up, um, I experienced a lot of church hurt, and uh, we specifically went through a season where a, a pastor in a church really um, hurt my dad. He was an associate uh, on staff there, 
and um, we were almost about a year where we were just kind of wandering and hmm. kind of floundering and, you know, going from church to church in the, the city that we lived in. And um, I just had a rough situation in that because I basically looked at what I saw Christianity as and was like, you know what, this actually sucks. Like, <laughs> if this is Christian, if this is how they treat people who are part of their family, mm. like, I, I don't know that I want anything to do with this. Like, I I, yep. I got friends who don't know Jesus who are nicer to me than, than church people. Sad, wow. And, uh, and so I'm 13 years old, you know, looking at these, these blatant uh, hypocrisies in the church and... Uh, I'm, I'm struggling. And so, um, long story short, I end up having a rough eighth grade year. I wanted to be a football player. I've been a big boy my whole life. And, uh, <laughs> at 14, I was six foot three. I weighed 320 pounds. And I was part of the 1600 club. Uh, wow. Running back, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, was a, I was a left <laughs> defensive tackle. And, uh, yeah. I was playing in middle school. It was my first year ever playing because my mom was so overprotective. And, uh, but, you know, I'm big as a man, so I'm like, uh, I think you need to let me play football this year. She did. And uh, I had 29 sacks in Goodness. nine games in middle school. <laughs> and so, uh, I, uh, I had gone to spring training that summer before ninth grade. Well, I say summer. It was right before my eighth grade year ended and uh, I was going to be the, the first freshman to ever start varsity for our uh, county. And um, I left there because my eighth grade year was just horrible, but something happened. It was really weird. I went on this trip at the end of eighth grade and on the bus ride there, I think we drove down to Tampa to go to Bush Gardens on the bus ride, a girl, and now listen, I was, <laughs> I was so broke. Like my mom and dad were struggling and we had planted a church after all that happened. And so we were, you know, it was, it was a rough time. I didn't have a compact CD player back then. I literally got like eight D size batteries. I put them in my CD cassette boom box player <laughs> And that's what I brought on the bus so I could listen to music with some headphones. Let's go. And uh, a girl, she gives me this CD, and it's called Shout to the Lord. And it's Darlene Check. And I had never heard of Hillsong at this point. And I start listening to this song, Shout to the Lord. And I feel like at this moment, I'm in a lost, dark place spiritually. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm faking it as an eighth grader. I'm doing everything I can to be popular. I'm, I, you know, I have a filthy mouth, a perverted thought pattern. I'm, you know, I'm a 14-year-old boy, and I'm just trying to fit in with everybody. And I am literally overwhelmed for hours at this song, Shout to the Lord. And I just remember riding home in that bus all the way from Tampa back to Georgia. And I played that CD so many times on repeat, just that song, that it literally burned rings in the CD. I had to buy the girl a whole new CD. 
And uh, don't tell nobody, but I just went to Columbia and got 13 CDs for a penny and never paid them back. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all remember that? At that moment, I was just overwhelmed with the presence of God on a school bus. Mm -hmm. And it called down to something deep in me that I had not Mm -hmm. experienced before. I knew Jesus. I knew church. I knew religion. Um, You know, I'm the kid who... (laughs) uh, in our belief, you know, I, I believed I was baptized with the Holy Spirit at seven and called to ministry at eight and preached my first sermon at 10. I, I was the church kid. You know, I was the, the, I wasn't your normal pastor's son. I was, I was a pastor's son that, uh, you know, wanted to, to love Jesus. And I, I was doing that within the bounds of what I knew, legalism and religion. And I thought that I was doing it correctly you know, but then I find out that it's all um, not what I thought it was, I guess. And so I experienced the presence of God. I end up going to youth camp in South Georgia in 1999 that summer, and I have a total encounter with Jesus mm. um, on a Tuesday night, and uh, it changed everything for me. And so at 14 years old, I literally make a decision and fill a call into ministry. And at this point, I'm, I'm playing saxophone and band. I'm playing drums at church. And I can play a little guitar, not very much. And I tell the Lord in that moment that if this is what you're calling me to, I want to learn how to play piano because I want to lead from the keys. And uh, I took three months from, from June of 1999 up until September And my dad, I went home, he shows me a C chord, and I literally go up to our church, which was a hundred year old building that we were renting at the church my dad started and planted. And I would sit in this hundred year old building with no air conditioning in the summer in Georgia. I would sweat down to my boxer briefs, but I'd sit there for six and eight hours with that same boom box and play songs and listen to them and, and teach myself how to play them. And once I learned that song, I'd sing it for two hours. And then I'd go and learn another song, and then I'd sing it for two hours. And then by the end of that summer, I had this large you know, repertoire of songs that I was able to flow in. And that literally is what started me leading worship, because I just wanted to minister to Jesus and to sing my heart to him. And so I'd find all these songs that spoke to me and I would just, I would just, I learned how to navigate the presence of God by myself at 14 and 15 years old. And I really believe that that's what took me into the life that I've been living up until now. So that's how I got started. And that's how I got what I call my, my salvation experience. It was a reborn experience where I knew that, you know, from that moment, I struggled with things, but man, I knew Jesus was exactly who he said he was. Man, Brandon, that's an awesome story. Hey, I bet you and I share a mutual friend, and I'm going to find out if you're really Church of God or not. Come on now. You know Bishop Tim Hill? <laughs> well, who doesn't? He's, he's, third, he's like third under the Trinity in the Church of God. So it's like... <laughs> Tim Hill and I have been friends for a long time and uh, pastored in the same city. And uh, you're not Church of God if you've never sang, He's Still in the Fire. 
And he's walking, and in, he's the walking flame. in the flame. <laughs> and he'll be there to help you when you call upon his name. Yep, yep. Tim Hill uh, wrote that it. song and listen. He would he would step over to the piano, he would start singing, he's still in the fire. And you knew he wasn't going to have to preach that night. I mean, <laughs> a few lines in, and it was rolling, man. So my only encounter, if you will, with uh, a spirit-filled service growing up, I dated this girl, and uh, her dad was the pastor of a, of a church in uh, Athens, Tennessee. I am independent, fundamental Baptist to the core. And I go, and I started dating this girl, and we showed up at her church, and it was homecoming, so they were doing a singing <laughs> we get into the car and she says, now, I just want to let you know, they may, we're spirit-filled and so we may get a little excited and start speaking in tongues. And I was like, it's all right. It's okay. I watched a Benny Hinn on TBN earlier so I could get ready for this. I'm ready for it. <laughs> and then she looks at me and if I'm lying, I'm dying. She goes, you could participate. And I went, what? What? She goes, yeah. She says, I have this little saying that sometimes I say and it helps it out. She says, I say, Shauna tied a bow tie. Rhonda bought a Honda. My Shinna, my Nia, my Lega. And I was like, wait, write that down. So she wrote it down. And I was like, Shauna tied a bow tie. Rhonda bought a Honda. My Shinna, my Nia, my Lega. And listen, I mean no offense to this at all. But in this moment, it was as fake as a $3 bill. And so me and her are up on the stage, and we're singing Holy Ground. And she told me that during my verse, she's going to fall out and speaking the tongues to get the spirit moving because we were starting the service. I was like, okay, let's do this. I'm independent fundamental Baptist to the core. Just remember this. I start singing, in his presence there is joy beyond all measure. Why yeah. did my piano stop? And I look over and she is like, woo! And I was like, no! This is so fake. What is happening right now? And then daddy gets up and he says, I want to prophesy what the Lord's saying. I was like, he said Shauna tied a bow tie. Rhonda bought a Honda, her shin, her knee, and her leg. I can tell you what he said. This is the best thing. My brother is about six years younger than me, scared to death, sitting on the back row, about to freak out. He was crying. He was like, ah, ah. I looked at him. I said, let's get out of here. We jumped in my Jeep, and I... I <laughs> The whole way down the road, I was like, I'm so sorry, brother, that I took you to this. Lord, forgive us for being a part of that. <laughs> and, uh, man, oh, little did I know. And then, you know, as I got older, obviously, I ran into some folks that it's more than just a, a memorized phrasing and saying. And guys like you that, you know, are across the aisle, if you will, that aren't independent fundamental Baptists, but I believe that God has a special calling on your life. And, you know, you're, you're as real as they get, bro. So tell us. Tell us how incredible the ministry of singing on Facebook, you started doing that, and that led to where you're at today. Kind of bring us along to where you're at right now. Well, I, you know, I started back in uh, like 2009, I'd record songs and put them on YouTube, and then, um, then Periscope came out around 2015, and I don't know how, I don't know what. I just got on it and I was like, I'm going to go and sit down at my keyboard and just worship. Yeah. And bro, it just absolutely blew up. Like within like two or three months, I was at 20 or 30,000 followers. I, mm -hmm. I was having hundreds of people come on. People were getting <clears throat> saved, bro. I was preaching the gospel. People were messaging me, emailing me. 
I mean, people like drug addicts and drug dealers, yeah. and they, you know, and it was just all new. I was and, watching. Uh, yeah, and then, then that kind of died because <laughs> you know, I guess they got bought out or whatever. Or Facebook does yeah. what it does best, and it's like we're going to take what you do and we're going to duplicate it. Right. And, uh, so then they started Facebook Live, and uh, and then I started building up on Facebook Live, and. Um, We've just, man, same thing, you know. Um, now, all the algorithms have changed. It's all, today it's a whole different story because yeah, I'll go on live now. We'll sing for an hour and love on Jesus and preach the gospel. And where we used to have, like, when you get done, it, it, they call it concurrent views. So we'll, we'd have three, four, five hundred people, you know, on concurrently there. And then, uh, you know, the views at the end of it, the total would be like, 18, 25,000, something, you know, mm-hmm. in the thousands. And uh, we went on the other night and it was like 798 people. And I was like, you know, thanks, Facebook. Like, you're, yeah. you're totally, <laughs> nobody's getting the notifications. It didn't notify me. I saw y'all on the other night and I jumped on right there at the end. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I, I do think that there's a, you know, there's an attack on uh, Christianity and, and, and things sure. like that, you know. Um, so it's like, they're changing it on us, but I'm good with it. I, I think for me, it serves its purpose, and, and God leads people to it. Like you said, I mean, mm-hmm. you came on one night, and I remember the message, man. I'll never forget it. You're like, dude, you have no clue. I'm in a dark place, and what you just did just absolutely ministered to me. And mm-hmm. and I, I have, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not trivializing that. I'm saying, like, we, I have thousands of those yeah. where it's like, people just out of the blue. I mean, I've had mm-hmm. multiple people um, who literally message me and go, I had a gun in my hand mm. and I was ready to pull the trigger and my phone beeped and showed me that you were live and I felt Jesus tonight mm. and I experienced something I've never felt. And so I, man, I thank the Lord for those moments. So yeah, yeah. it's been a great platform. Well, I'd say the algorithm worked well for you on one night because your wife now is a result of you going live on Facebook, correct? Listen, I... Tell us how that happened, glory. October 7th, 2017. You know, I I stayed single. Um, I I was traveling. Um, I dated a little bit, but, you know, I was still a virgin, and I was 33 years old, man. I was like, <laughs> it was the year of our Lord. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, um, I, I went on and I was doing this thing back then. Cause Facebook had just integrated this deal where you could bring people in. So video and video. <clears throat> and, uh, I was sick. I had a sinus infection. So I was doing something called pass the mic. And let me just tell y'all, man, pass the mic was rough because you got my face in that screen while people are coming on to sing. <laughs> and not everybody who came on was gifted to sing. Let me just put it like that. And so I would have to sit there and just smile and not laugh. Like it was the hardest sometimes. And sometimes I just have to come out of the screen and I would just be like, oh my God. So I'm on there, I'm passing the mic. And I see my wife at the time, her name was Alyssa Powers. I see her name pop up. And um, I was like, oh, man, because I just really reconnected her. So the story is this. My wife was married before me. 
Um, she was married for almost 10 years. She has two, she had two daughters, uh, with her ex-husband and she had gone through a massive divorce because he cheated multiple times and decided, you know, he told her, I don't want this. I don't want God. I don't want ministry. And, um, and so he, he really Mm -hmm. kind of abandoned them and, uh, Mm -hmm. It was a rough deal, you know, and she was she was going through her own stuff. And so I had noticed on Facebook that her name had changed. And I just reached out to her one day. I was like, hey, don't know what's going on. But I didn't think of her like that. You know what I'm saying? Like my connection with her was that she was married in ministry. She's a worship leader. Mm-hmm. We had connected through Periscope. And so I just told her, she shared the story with me. And I was just, I was sympathetic. And like, man, I'm praying for you and your daughters. And um, I just didn't look at her that way. And so... I see your name pop up on that Facebook Live, and I'm like, oh, Alyssa, you got to come sing. I know you could sing. And so she comes on there. She sings Good, Good Father. And, man, I'm telling y'all, something happened. I've, if I, Nobody can tell me that God did not create us to hear the Spirit of God speak to us. Like, I literally, I've never experienced it like this before, but I felt the Holy Spirit in that moment this is your wife and you can literally see it on my face. Like I'm grinning like an idiot to the place where my, my younger brother is texting me and going, why are you smiling like a moron while this girl's singing? <laughs> and and I, I told him, I was like, dude, I, I don't, I'll tell you later. And so, um, that was it. We, she came on saying, I messaged her. We started talking Literally a week later, on my third, my actual thirty-third birthday in 2017, I flew her into Savannah to meet her, and we literally fell in love. We were engaged on New Year's Eve that year, then married April 27th the next year. And so, she has been the greatest gift. Uh, her and my two daughters, because they are my daughters, and mm. I have never loved anyone or anything like I love those three girls right there. They are mm. the absolute biggest blessing I've ever had. So, And so no doubt this last year has been pretty trying for, for y'all. It was like incredible. And then it's like almost like the bottom fell out. Kind of tell us where you're at right now. Well, we, uh, we had made a jump. We were on staff helping a friend of mine in Savannah at a church we made the decision that we wanted to go full-time travel. We get to January 2020. We start booking out and uh, do that for about two and a half months. And then um, COVID hit. And uh, we were literally, the day I got the phone call, we were on our way to do a massive youth conference up in Knoxville, Tennessee, called Winterfest. It was actually for the Church of God. And... uh, there's about 15, 20,000 kids there. And we're literally packing our vehicle up and they text us and they're like, the state of Tennessee just shut us down. And I'd put all, mm. I'd put our savings, I'd put all this stuff into preparing for this, you know? And, um, and so from that point, that was Thursday, March 11th, to that next Monday, every booking we had for that year had canceled through email or mm. text or call. And so I lost right at probably twenty five to thirty thousand dollars in in income mm-hmm. within four days, and so I didn't know what to do. So I called my dad, who's pastoring down here in Florida, and I said, "Pop, I'm a I'm a 
I'm a 35-year-old man who's hurting right now, and uh, I need to move me and my family down here, and we'll help you guys. We'll come on staff, you know, and, and help consult, and you guys have a home that's open on the property. If you'll let us stay there, we just kind of want to base with you guys and see what happens with this thing. Hopefully, it'll be a couple months, and we can get back on the road. <laughs> so, little did we know how it was going to turn out, and so, uh, you know, after COVID, you know, we're still – not traveling we're struggling financially um hurting we get to september and uh my wife goes and has to have she'd she'd already had some issues that that had brought some uh i guess some worry into the picture uh physically and so she finally went and had uh, a mammogram and some different things done and long story short, we find out in October that she was diagnosed with uh, uh, breast cancer in her left breast. Mm-hmm. She had uh, two 2.2 centimeter tumors mm-hmm. in her breast, and then she had a lymph node that they were pretty much telling us was guaranteed cancer because it looked very sharp and jagged. And so they biopsied the one tumor, and it came back positive um and so we start hearing some crazy stuff like you're losing both of your breasts you're probably you know this doesn't run in your family so you're probably going to test positive on the genetic test which means your girls are going to have to worry about this and your sisters are going to have to worry about this um we're probably going to have to take like i said both of your breasts off double mastectomy we're probably going to put you on a pill for 10 years where y'all are not going to be able to have children of your own. And uh, we're going to put you into menopause and all this stuff. And we're just like overwhelmed. And so at that moment we had to decide, was it just Facebook lives or is this what we truly believe? Mm. And, uh, and we just decided to, to live this thing out. We've been unfiltered about the whole deal we literally from the get-go told everybody she would not lose her breast that god was about to work miracles that this will not be genetic our daughters will not worry about this and that we are going to have children and literally they went back to biopsy the second tumor which was as big as a golf ball the doctor stands there for almost 20 minutes. I'm watching him with a, like a ultrasound deal, trying to find this tumor, cannot find the tumor. The tumor vanished, literally. Amen. Um, the lymph node was completely healed. Um, I mean, it's just been one thing after another. So long story short, she had to go through uh, five months of chemotherapy and then a surgery. They have cut all the remaining cancer out of her, and she lost nothing. The, mm. the genetic test was negative. Our daughters will not have to worry about this. And we are moving forward with treatment that uh, is going to bypass taking a pill for 10 years and uh, get her healthy. And, uh, and we believe that we're going to be having children within the next couple of years. So it was just one miracle after... And I, you know, my wife, man, she has been so like, y'all just go follow her. You can check her out on Facebook. She'll be a blessing to you. But she has just in the midst of the hardest moments I've ever seen anybody 
face. Mm. She has been so faithful that, you know, and it's so funny because religion wants to make you hide your dirt. Yeah. Religion wants you to, to put on this air that everything's okay and that nothing's wrong. And we teach this all the time. There ain't one piece of fruit that can grow without dirt. And so instead of hiding your dirt, embrace the dirt. We're all going to go through just garbage seasons. Mm-hmm. But if you embrace it, that dirt is the very thing God wants to produce your destiny out of. And so we've literally seen that in our life. And, and I'm telling you, man, we are, we are coming out into a new season. And I just think it's going to be one of the greatest seasons we've ever faced or seen. So, Brandon, you've sang all of your life. You've been in music all of your life. Can you share with our audience during, during all of that hardship that you're going through, the bottoms falling out, you know, financially you're ruined. At that point in time, your ministry seemed like it was ruined. And then now, you know, your wife has potentially a life-threatening sickness. How did God use music during that season to minister to your heart? And can you talk to us about what it looks like to worship behind the scenes when when the when the lights aren't on, when the camera's not on, when the audience is not around? How So how did personal worship carry you through that time and how did God use music in a powerful way well you know for 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 me to explain that I've got to first explain what we feel and believe worship is um, I think the church today has made worship something that I don't believe God ever intended it to, to be and it was like focused on us you know we mm. we sing what we like we listen to what we like and a lot of times in our worship, we're, we're saying things that I just don't feel like measure up to what the Bible says about me. And so we're constantly telling God how needy, desperate, hungry, thirsty, all these words that are, you know, unsatisfied. And, and it's like Jesus looks at a woman at a well and he tells her, if you drink of me, you'd never thirst again. He says, if you're thirsty you'll find satisfaction. You know, if you're hungry, I'm going to feed you like I'm the bread of life. So he tells us all these times that he is the fulfillment of everything we need. And then we have verses in the Bible like 2 Peter 1, 3 that says, everything I need for living life like Jesus is already in me. Like he created us to have that abundant life. And I think we sometimes give that up because, man, I just believe our words create uh, uh, destinies that God never intended for us. And so worship becomes powerful for us because we, we do what's called declarative worship. So we sing songs that declare who Jesus is and who we are in Christ. And even when I don't feel like it, even when I don't believe he's a good father, man, there was moments I was mad at God. I was upset. And I'm sitting here singing, you're perfect in all of your ways. But I'm going, not really, because if you were really perfect in all of your ways, why does my wife have breast cancer right now? Mm-hmm. And if you're really perfect in all of your ways, why have I had to move back home? And why don't I? Why can't we find work? And why are we struggling? And why am I having to go on food stamps right now as a minister, as a 35-year-old man with two children? Like, if you're really perfect in all of your ways, why don't I feel like you're perfect in all of your ways? What I've mm-hmm. had to learn is worship 
takes me beyond my feelings into a realm of understanding that when I declare he's perfect in all of his ways, even when I'm not feeling it, I'm declaring it and I'm prophesying mm. over my life. And the more that I say it, the more that I declare it, the more it starts to take root in my life and produce fruit. And I think if we could fix some of our horrible, bad-mouthing talking in the body of Christ, we would see people literally walking in the destiny that God created them to have because faith has to come by hearing. And if we're not saying the right things, then, and this is what I always say, if faith comes by hearing, then I believe fear and doubt come by hearing too. And mm. we have to be careful of what we're listening to. We have to be careful of the things we're watching. Does it align our spirits to what God says about us through the word? And so worship literally became, you know, a weapon for us in the moments where the, the enemy was attacking our mind and saying things to us that didn't line up to the word. So we would go back and we would just sing the word. We would declare things over our life, even when it was hard for us to believe them. Does that make sense? Yes. So that's how it became really powerful for us. Man, you can tell this boy ain't IFB. We had words like destiny. Ain't one person been on the RFP that's talked about destiny. <laughs> I love it. There are right-handed things that we hold on tight to, and then I think there's left-handed things that as we grow and mature in our walk in Christ, you know, sometimes our views change on them. And that's why I was saying in the beginning, I love that I know that I'm talking to an audience that came out of, you know, extreme religion and legalism and they sang hymnals and they only read the KJV. I'm telling you, worship's prophetic. And, and I know that probably a lot of IFB guys are cessationists and that's cool too. It's like, I don't, I don't want to get caught on those things. I hope, I hope the listeners can um, overcome the barrier that maybe we believe different on some things, but they can hear my heart and really genuinely what we've learned through our experience, you know, about who God is and who he says we are through this. Yeah. And I think that brings up a really good point for our listeners. And we received some pretty good questions this week after interviewing Chris McClarney because he traveled with Jesus culture. Here's one thing I know you and I, Brandon, come from really where you're at and where I'm at right now are typically in, in Christianity, two different extremes. I am more reformed in my faith and I identify more with the reformers. And uh, that's a lot less of the signs and wonders and things like that. And, and you've just explained where you're at. But here's what I know and believe from you and other people that are in the Church of God movement and uh, Pentecostal movement and things like that. I know that God is using you guys. I know God is using you to reach people that he's not using me to reach. I know there's a lot of people that have come out of really, really rough uh, lifestyles, drug addiction and things like you were talking about, that uh, God used uh, Pentecostal people to reach them with the gospel. And Jesus even dealt with this with his own disciples when they were wanting to tell people to stop doing miracles and stop doing things in Jesus' name because they weren't doing it exactly like they were. And Jesus said, if they're not against me, they're for me. And so we have to deal with things like that. But I do believe doctor matters. And we received a question from Chris Rogers, actually, on Twitter this week. And he said this, and I, 
I think the four of us can talk about this and have an honest conversation because we're open to criticism. We're putting ourselves out here. We're open to honest questions and conversation. I appreciate Chris bringing this up. He says, right doctrine matters. Discernment is not legalism. It is appropriate to evaluate the theological content and doctrinal fidelity of our corporate worship. So how can we rightly set aside I'll fly away while giving tacit approval to Jesus culture, Bethel, and elevation? And that came from our last episode. If I can just speak to that, um, you know, our criteria is not who wrote this song. Our criteria is not who sang this song. Our criteria is the quality and the gospel centeredness of that specific song. You know, for example, we sing a song uh, by Bethel. And uh, I just want to I just want everybody to hear these lyrics. The song is titled Christ is Risen. It begins with amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Now I'm found was blind. But now I see hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. The prodigal is welcomed home. The sinner now a saint for the God who died came back to life and everything has changed. Then it says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, fear, where's your power? The mighty king of kings has disarmed you. I mean, you just listen to this song and it's it's gospel from beginning to end. Now, this song is the result of Bethel and uh, and different writers like I think Phil Wickham was even involved in that song. So as a whole, we would not place our approval on Bethel. We would not place our approval on, as I'm sure even Brandon wouldn't. We're, we're not in cohesion with everything that Bethel does, that doesn't mean that there aren't times when great gospel-centered songs come from what we might even consider to be unlikely sources. Yeah. Yeah. There are guys like Matt Marr, who he is a Catholic. Most people that are singing his songs don't realize that. But we agree 100% with Catholics about the resurrection. When... When we talk to Catholics about the Trinity, we agree with them on the Trinity. So where they get it right, man, I want to celebrate where they get that right. And I, I want to celebrate where I think they're faithful to Scripture. Now, there are many things I'm not going to do that Catholics do, but when Matt Mara writes a song about the resurrection, I don't have a problem at all singing that, that Christ is risen uh, on Easter when it's a great song and it's theologically and doctrinally correct. Now, honestly, I don't want to push people toward the Catholic Church, and that's part of the conversation. I don't want to push people towards Bethel, so I understand pastors that say, hey, we're not going to do, do their music because I don't want my people going and listening to their music and, and moving in that direction. Okay, I think that falls within Christian liberty, but I think it's also within Christian liberty where people land where Brian and I are at and say, hey, we're going to judge each song by its content and not by necessarily who wrote it because there are no perfect vessels out there. We're all broken. I think what we have to do is, is look at it through the right lens. Like, does it refer back to Scripture? Is this biblically sound? Is this right theology? I mean, guys, there's hymns that we sing that if you were to look at these hymns, 
and the riders of these hymns, you wouldn't necessarily line up with them. I mean, think about the incredible song that all of us have sung, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It was penned by Martin Luther, you know, who wrote the 95 Thesis, rightly protested corruption in the Catholic Church. He also wrote a book called The Jews and Their Lies and Other Infallible Names, which were rooted in hostility and horrific views towards the Jews. Now, if some people knew that, they would be like, why are you singing a Martin Luther song? How about the one, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing, that was written in 1757 by the Methodist preacher Robert Robinson, who later added the line, prone to wonder, because he was drifting away from his faith. A lot of people would be like, well, how can you drift away from your faith? Why would you put prone to wonder in there? It is well with my soul. We've all sung that one, Horatio Spafford. We know later on, while his most famous work was that anthem, uh, later on, his teaching on eternal punishment, the Holy Spirit were at best ill-informed and at worst kind of heretical. And so when you hear three incredible songs like that, that some people would have a problem if they heard others singing because they know the author. That's kind of what happens here. My question goes to, in the IFB world that we have, we've got a lot of guys that will preach so hard against Bethel and Hillsong and the, the way that these the culture is around that, but then sing those same songs just with the, the tune changed to a more Southern gospel beat. Isn't that hypocrisy? Well, you know, on Sundays, JC, when I was growing up, my papa loved uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. I mm. mean, he loved Kentucky Fried Chicken. My grandma would cook three meats and 12 vegetables and two breads, and on the way home, he would still stop by KFC. <laughs> it would make my grandma so mad. But he always had a bucket of chicken on Sundays. And do you know we never ate the bones? Mm. We ate the meat. And we threw out the bones. Mm -hmm. And with everything, you have to apply that. For example, yeah. I grew up hearing Independent Fundamental Baptist quote the Puritans. Of course, they never mentioned the first collective building they built was a brewery. And uh, they didn't mention the fact that, um, well, there was that Salem witch trial thing where uh, the Puritans proved <laughs> that they, uh, <laughs> they, were, they were a little insane. Not to mention the slaves that they owned. Absolutely. But, you know, you quote the Puritans. Was everything about them wrong? Was all of them wrong? You know, it's kind of like we say with independent Baptist. It would be very easy for me to say, I have no use for any independent Baptist whatsoever. It would be easy for me to say that. But the truth is, hey, there's some gospel there. And there's some Bible there. And there's some loving Jesus there. And there's some evangelism there. Yeah. You have to learn to eat the meat and throw away the bones. And that is true even in music. And so we take every song on the basis of its own merit, mm. of its own doctrinal soundness, of its own Christ exaltation. We, we take every song individually. Because let's be honest, the writers of every song are sinful men in need of Jesus. And everybody has something. Chris McClarney is a phenomenal music worship leader. He writes phenomenal worship music. But if you start digging enough, you can find something with Chris McClarney that you don't like. Heck, you can find stuff on Ron Patch the Pirate that you don't like. Even though he has good music out there, you can find something wrong about Patch the Pirate. And if, you, if, if you're looking at that, we're sinful men who need Jesus, 
you can say all these other worship leaders have all this fault. I think that Kelsey Bolton's pretty perfect. But maybe that's because love covers a multitude of sins. Mm. Well, in that case, then I think we're all perfect because his love, his love covers a multitude of sins and he chooses Come on now. anyway. Um, <laughs> I find it, you know, I find it so funny, man, because they used to be so dogmatic, you know, religion. And here's what's, here's what's interesting. All right. So you guys come out of the IFB. I come out of the church of God, two totally different, you know, thoughts on certain things and, and different things. But both of them completely riddled with the same religious spirit. Mm. And it's, it's everywhere. It, 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 we've, we've really focused on the denomination more than the root of the problem. And the root of the problem came thousands of years ago. You know, I look at, I look at John the Baptist, who, you know, as the Bible tells us, came to prepare the way of the Lord, Right. And he's out in the wilderness crying, repent. He's telling Jews to repent. And I think the problem that we have in the church is we've not fully understood certain things. The word repent, I grew up thinking it meant, you know, turn from your sin. And repentance was at a time in the altar at youth camp or at, you know, youth conference or, you know, every Sunday morning for some people where I came up and cried about how bad I'd been the week and then asked God to forgive me. And that's not truly repentance. That's an emotional response. But the word in the Greek is metanoia. And it literally translates to change your thinking. So repentance comes when our mindsets are shifted. So John the Baptist is talking to a group of Jews and he's telling them, if you don't change the way you think, you're going to miss the kingdom. Because Jesus is coming to do something radically different. And so what happens is you got this whole group of people who are expecting Jesus to be one thing, but he comes, you know, totally opposite. Like they're wanting a king riding on a horse to kill all the Romans. And here comes Jesus in a manger and he's lowly and he's just walking around with no home, right? And he's got a bunch of guys following him. And, you know, they, they didn't see it because their mind, they couldn't change the way that they were thinking about what he was supposed to be, what they had believed the Messiah was going to be. So you get this whole deal where now they kill him, right? They're, they're angry at him. They, they, they bring all these, you know, accusations against him and they crucify him. And there's this story where they're all still upset because now he's resurrected and done what he said he's going to do. They still can't receive that he is who he says he is. And they're all conspiring. How are we going to stop this church? And this one genius man, Gamaliel, comes into the court with the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he says this one thing. He says, brothers, if what they're doing is against God, then they're surely going to fail. So mm. why worry and why go after them and why try to persecute them if what they're doing is going to fail? But then he says, but if what they're doing is destined and ordained by God, there's your destiny again, right? <laughs> he says, then we're going to miss it and be part of trying to stop what God is doing in the earth. Mm. And I look at that and I say, you know, if we could all, no matter where we come from, 
You know, because in the Church of God, we preach, oh man, we're going to preach hard against the IFB, and we're going to preach hard against the Southern Baptists, and the Methodists, and the Catholics, and the IFB's preaching against the Church of God, and the Charismatics, and the Pentecostals, and the Methodists are saying, you know, you've got to be sprinkled, and the Baptists are saying, no, you've got to be fully done. We're going to find stuff that we disagree with. And I just got to this place where I'm like, listen, I don't care. If you don't want to speak in tongues, that's cool. That's you. If you don't believe that's the Lord, if you believe that stopped with the first century church, if you're a cessationist, if you're a reformist, if you're a Baptist, if you're a Methodist, if you're a Presbyterian, I don't care. Like these are just titles. These are just separations. Jesus said, may they be one like we are one. And I think if we would just say, you know, we believe in God the Father. Like, we believe in Christ as the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit, you know. And, and what Brian is saying and what, what uh, Nate and JC are saying, I, I believe is so true. Like, there's Bethel songs that I don't, I don't sing. There's Hillsong songs that I don't sing. There's Elevation songs that I don't sing. There's hymns that I don't sing. There's worship courses now that I don't sing because for me, it doesn't match what, I feel God has shown me in, in my maturation process as a worship leader and as a son of God. And so I don't want to sing some of these things because they don't, you know, they don't form to what I would call theology that I believe in. And so, or how I see things. And so what happens is instead of separating from them, like I still love all these people. I still want to learn. Listen, one of my favorite clips is from an IFB church. And they're singing about those virgins. And that dude jumps right in that baptistry. And it's just the coolest thing I've ever seen. I've watched that thing so many times. You know? But, oh, if I was dogmatic, be like, oh, I can't watch the IFB. I ain't even going to listen to them. I'd have missed joy coming from my life because of that. And so, you know, I just, I, I think we've, I think we've, I think we've become so critical. Man, I think that's a, a tactic of the enemy that he, he distracts us to divide us. Instead of uniting us under the banner of Jesus. And if we will write worship songs and sing songs and create atmospheres that focus on Jesus, like this, it would fix a lot of this mess that people are going through and hurting them and harm. You know, one of the biggest problems with music is we equate the emotional with the spiritual. So if we are moved emotionally, we believe we have been moved spiritually. Um, I'm from Mount Air, North Carolina. You know, it's considered the bluegrass capital of the world. And uh, a few years back, I was walking down the street one day, some old men were playing bluegrass music in the theater. So I walked in and um, started mentioning the name of my papa who had passed away. And my papa was a great fiddle player and fiddle maker. And so, man, they all knew and loved my papa. And so I said, hey, how about singing Uncle Penn just a little bit? And one of the old fellas, he had a big old dip in, and he said, who's going to sing it? And I said, well, I'll sing it. So they started playing Uncle Penn. I started singing, you know, all the people would come from far away, dance all night to the break. I started singing Uncle Penn, you know, and uh, man, I walked out of that place, and I cried all the way down the sidewalk because I was moved emotionally thinking about my papa. And being in that group of old men reminded me of being with my papa and all those men and my family who would play bluegrass music out on his front porch. But God had nothing to do with that moment. Uncle Penn was not spiritual. Being there in that circle with those old men, that was not spiritual. It was all emotional. I was moved 
emotionally. And what people have to understand is there are songs that are going to move you emotionally. I mean, there's songs that's going to tug on your heartstrings. There's a reason Peg McKamey always slung her shoes off when she was singing The God of the Mountain is Still God in the Valley. And, it, you know, we did concerts with them, and it amazed me that for some reason there was a room full of people who anxiously awaited and got fired up about an older lady slinging her shoes off. I don't get that. <laughs> but but they had fired up the crowd. The truth is a lot of that was emotional. It was not spiritual. And so I think what happens is when we take music and we put it under the lens of what is truly spiritual, not what blesses us, but what blesses him. That's right. What what can we sing that blesses his name, that advances the message of his gospel? I just think that changes everything. And I think a lot of people are confused because they want to be emotionally moved so they can assume they've been spiritually moved. Brian, I've I've heard you tell that story before, and I absolutely love that story, and I, I can definitely relate to that story. Uh, and I, I believe 100% that you're right, that there's a difference in worshiping Jesus and singing a song about Uncle Penn with some some of your grandfather's old buddies. But I don't know that you could say, and I don't even think you meant this, that God had nothing to do with that moment. I think, as you do, because we've had this conversation a lot, worship is more than just what we do in church. Every aspect of our life can be worship. Eating can be worship if we do it for God's glory. Singing, I see something absolutely beautiful in that moment with you honoring those fellas and honoring your father and, and God cre- or your grandfather, and God created you to love and to to hold on to memories and celebrate moments. So honestly, I, I don't know that you weren't in a worship service in the middle of singing that secular song because what you were doing honored God, but it is 100% totally different than worshiping Jesus and singing to his name. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. You know, in that moment, I was certainly moved by the fact that I was grateful that God had allowed Joe Edwards to be my papa. So there's definitely a reflection of gratitude in my heart toward Mm -hmm. God. Um, Certainly that. I think my point is more specifically, and hey, I don't even think it's wrong to be emotionally moved by music. I don't think that's wrong at all. You know, we can can argue about dancing or, or moving your bodies or whatever, but you think about it. A little child... One and a half, two years old, they learn to walk. They, they, they don't even have a mind to think about sinful music or suggestive movements or, or sexuality. They're just a small little child. But you can start, you know, slapping your hand on your knee and create a beat. And we used to love to watch our little, you know, little babies bounce up and down and and do their best to dance and. Uh, you know, one of my best memories of my little nephew, Sawyer, who drowned the week before he drowned at two years old, uh, one of my favorite memories, he had a saggy diaper that needed to be changed earlier, and my dad was playing the guitar, and Sawyer was bouncing up and down, you know, just doing his best as a little two-year-old to dance. God puts that in us. God gives us the ability to clap our hands. God gives us the ability to shout. God gives us 
the ability to wave our hands. God gives us the ability to move our feet. So he gives us these things so that we can praise him and glorify him through those things. And so I'm not saying that I think it's wrong to be moved emotionally. And I think that's why a lot of people are defending I'll fly away. And I think they've taken that to mean something that I didn't, I didn't intend for it to mean at the same time. I don't, I don't want to get to the point that I'm addicted to being moved emotionally Mm. to the extent that I miss out on being moved spiritually. You know, praise is for Jesus. Worship is to Jesus. Mm -hmm. For example, I can sit with you guys and tell you, hey, my wife Denise is a great lady. I can say to JC, man, my wife can cook. Tonight she fried chicken and creamed potatoes and made gravy and biscuits. And I mean, she cooked this amazing supper. That's me talking about her to you. I can tell you that my wife is beautiful. That's me talking about her to you. Or I can take her, look at her in the eyes, and I can say, you're the best wife in the whole world. You're you're an amazing mother, the way you love our children. You're an amazing wife. You're an amazing cook. I can start to share with her all the things that I love about her mm. to her. Then my praise becomes worship. And all I'm saying is I don't want to stay out there in the outer court I want to get to the point that I enjoy that intimacy with Jesus where I'm saying to him, you're beautiful, you're wonderful to me, you're gracious to me, you're kind to me, you're loving to me, you're forgiving to me. I want to get to that point that I move beyond just the emotional moment so that I have an opportunity to intimately connect with Jesus. That's when my praise becomes worship. Somebody should make a CD and entitle it Adoration. Oh man, did did you ever kick that guy out of the group, JC? No, but I uh, I put him on mute for a week. I'm kidding, I didn't. <laughs> you know what we're talking about, Brian? I have no idea. Some some Yahoo found my CD that I recorded back in the day called Adoration. It's me sitting up there with no facial hair, big old head of hair, goofy braces, grin. Oh, it's such a horrible song. I, I won, Weren't you like 12 years old? I was. I think I was 13, maybe 14. I won the Gold City Talent Show and got like 30 free hours in the Mid-South Records studio, and Mike Bailey was all mad that he had to record that for free, and so when they mastered it, they slowed it. They literally dropped my voice a, a step lower, so I'm singing, so what would have been, I'm a trophy of graces, I'm a trophy of grace. It is the worst <laughs> CD. I have tried to destroy every one that I can find. I was literally walking through McKay's in Chattanooga, and it was in the 25-cent bin, and I bought three of them and threw them away real quick. Oh, it's so embarrassing. Hey, JC, I do have a question. You posted those pictures this week reminiscing back on your time at that camp. Yeah. Why is it in every one of those pictures there's always a girl? Hey, Brian, play is going to play. Listen, that was uh, that was BC, JC. But all of those girls are my friends. Esther, Ruth, Tasha, they're good people tell you this i had to screenshot because i knew he's gonna try to take this trash down <laughs> i screenshotted that picture and in our group text with chris mclarney i just had to slide that adoration cd cover right in there buddy and uh it it 
it uh, opened up some hilarious dialogue. I can tell you that. <laughs> That's awesome. The the back picture is worse than the front picture because I thought I was doing like my my Michael Jackson freedom thing. I'm standing on top of a building with arms wide open. Oh, what a... There's just some things that you wish you could redo in life, and that's one of them. <laughs> that's what I wish. I wish I could. You oh. don't want to hear it. Yeah, that's going to happen. That will uh. happen. I think people are in the process of putting it on YouTube right now. So No. <laughs> hey, getting back to what, what Brian was talking about with emotions, um, I think so many times in the, in the body of Christ, we... We've seen the, I guess, the, the manipulation of emotions so much mm-hmm. that it makes us, it's like we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so my thought yeah. process would be, if God didn't want emotions to be part of worship, why did he create us as emotional beings? Mm-hmm. And so if God created it, then it, it's not inherently bad. I believe that you know, used correctly, um, guided by the spirit of God, I believe that emotions can open the door into a deeper revelation of spirituality and your connection with God. And so it's kind of like, you know, Brian, you were talking about your wife. I, I've only been married four years, but as a 33 year old virgin, I didn't fully understand intimacy, you know? Mm. And now that I'm married and I have a deeper understanding of what that intimacy is like, um, I can tell you this, there's not a time that I want to get intimate with my wife that I want it to be emotionless, if that makes sense. And so it's like, I yeah. just believe naturally, like God created us for emotions. I believe emotions help get our minds corrected, help set a mood to understand, to hear God and, and to connect in that worship where, you know, it, we're not robotic, <laughs> it's like so many times we yeah. have to make worship robotic and it just becomes, but that's religion, you know, mm. like it's like the Pharisees, they were going through the motions, they're fasting and everything they did was just robotic. And I believe when you try to remove all the emotion out of that, um, it becomes dangerously religious and legalistic. And God created us differently. Mm-hmm. I have, I, I'm, obviously more emotional than JC and Brian because they tell me that all the time. Obviously. I'm more emotional than a lot of people. I feel things. I get things. I think at a deeper level, some people may think I'm often left field and too emotional, and probably at certain times I am. But we all have different personalities, and I think we experience God at different levels. For me to impose the way I worship, let me tell you, there are times where I shout, where I raise my hand, uh, I might even jump up and down in a worship song if it's if it's hitting right. I, but when I'm moved the deepest, I'm standing still, usually sitting down, putting my face in my hands, and I'm weeping. Like when I'm moved the most, when God's speaking to me the most, or a song is connecting with my soul the most, I'm in tears, and I'm not very expressive. And someone may look at me and think, oh, he's just... He's sitting there while everybody else is running around. Well, someone may express their emotions running around a building or jumping up and down or shouting, and someone else may just sit there and you can't see it externally, but God's doing a great Mm. work on the inside of them. Brandon, you mentioned more than once when you were sharing your story about the things that we hold in the closed hand and the thing that we hold in the open hand. There are things that we would die for, 
and there are things that we can have differences with other Christians, but there's room for Christian liberty in that and room for different interpretations or how we understand Scripture. But I want to ask you a question as we close, because for us as the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast and as the host of this podcast and this community, the gospel is really the bottom line for us. We care about the gospel. So I would love to hear one of my Pentecostal brothers share what is the gospel. Well, I'm going to tell you, man, that is something that I am uh, absolutely passionate about. And uh, I believe, you know, like I told you guys before, I believe worship is declarative and uh, it can be powerful when it's declarative. And I believe that's the power comes from the declaration of the gospel. And uh, the gospel is that my righteousness is failure. My righteousness Mm. is filthy rags. If I could be good enough, if I could be... uh, pleasing enough if i could do this on my own jesus would have never had to come but because i completely suck in every situation in in every area of my life um you know i guess you know the reformed tulip believing folks would say i'm completely totally depraved you know and so because (laughs) of that total depravity um, jesus had to come and do what i couldn't do and he paid the penalty, he paid mm. the price. Uh, he died my death so that I could live his life. And in doing so, mm. he empowered me, he made me a son. He made me a joint heir, he made me the righteousness of God. He made me the head and not the tail, I'm above and not beneath. I'm gonna be the lender and not the borrower. I am a son that is completely loved. I, I can't be any more pleasing to the Lord that I am right at this moment because he doesn't see me through my actions. He sees me through the blood and my actions can fail. But as long as I have a uh, mind that is wanting to be transformed through the power of the word and that I use these moments of repentance to shift how I think I become or I put on the mind of Christ, as Paul said, and I become more like him. I want to be his image. I want to show forth his glory and release his kingdom in the earth. And the only way I can do that is because he paid the price. He did the work and he made that mm. available to me. And, uh, mm. that's, that's the gr- the glorious gospel is that, uh, I can't do it. He had to, and, uh, he chose me. Listen, this is my favorite scripture that while I was yet a sinner, Jesus died for me. What that means is before I ever had the chance to choose him, he already chose me. And when I worship and when I sing and when I declare those things, it aligns my mind, it aligns my heart, it aligns my spirit to remind me of where he brought me from, that I am a new creation in Christ. And it just makes me want to go even harder into his presence and sing even louder the goodness of the gospel of Jesus. Dude, let's go, man. I, I believe the Holy Spirit will use and work through that simple theology. What you just shared right there—that Jesus Christ is the only way. Our righteousness is filthy rags, mm-hmm. and only He—he's our only Savior. He's our only hope. I believe that is why God is using you in such a powerful way. And there are secondary things we disagree about, and we, and we probably will until we get to heaven. 
but you're my brother in Christ. Absolutely. And, and, and that's okay. But let me ask you this one last question because you answered that one so good. What is your final authority in faith and practice? For me, dude, it's the word of God. Like it's, it's, it has all authority, you know? And, um, I think there's such an assault on the word right now, you know, the validity of the word. And I understand how people can want to argue these things. Um, but I'll tell you this, I think as Christians, we have to know the word. And uh, I, because of religion, was so ignorant and like, I mean, Jesus, you know, the Bible says it, like my people perish for not a lack of Jesus doing something, but a lack of knowledge. Like we, yeah. we have become complacent in our ignorance. And, uh, and I'll tell you this, what shifted my whole life was I, I was doing street ministry, Okay. And I come up on a Muslim, and I'm, this was around 2007, and I'm in downtown Savannah on River Street, and I'm trying to witness to this Muslim who went to SCAD at the time. And I say, hey, man, can I talk to you about Jesus? And he goes, well, you, ask, you answer one question, and if you answer this correctly, I'll let you tell me what you want to tell me. I said, okay, what is it? He said, how many sheep did Noah take on the ark? And in my little church of God, raised religious boy, pastor's kid, mine, I, you know, I'd sing songs about it. I'd see pictures drawn. My fe- the the felt board, you know, <laughs> Sunday yes. school flannel graph, flannel graph was all two. And so I answered. I said two, of course. And he looks at me, and this is what he said. I'll never forget it verbatim. He said, "You ignorant Christians." He said in Genesis chapter 6 of your Bible, it says that God commanded Noah to take 14 total, seven pair for sacrifices and one pair for reproduction. So he actually took 16 sheep on the ark. And I'm going to tell y'all, man, like I was about 23, 24 years old at this point, and that rocked me to my core. And I... I set out on a mission that I did not want to believe something because I'd heard it preached or had been told my whole life. But I wanted to believe something because I've studied it and I've read it (laughs) and I have broken it down and I have talked to multiple people who see it in multiple different ways. And I wanted to know what the Spirit revealed to me through that authoritative Word of God. Because my problem was... If my church or if my denomination or if my group of people had taught me something so insignificant incorrectly, what major things had they taught me incorrectly? Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you that because I didn't know the word. I only knew what I was Mm -hmm. told. I knew what I'd heard. It's like the woman who cut the ends of the ham off and they go all the way back to her great grandma. It's like, why'd you cut the ends of the ham off? She's like, maybe in the twenties, the stove was too small. I couldn't fit a whole ham in there. So we had to cut the ends off. <laughs> I didn't want to be that person who generations yeah. later are only doing something because grandma did it that way. And so I yeah. think that's, that's the, the law of first truth is so hard to overcome when it's been taught incorrectly, but that's where the spirit has to come in. So yes, the word of God is my final authority. But I also believe that the Spirit breeds revelation in our heart, in our spirit. It connects to us when we literally open ourselves up to find that truth. And 
You know, that's what got me out of religion. That's what got me out of legalism. That's what got me out of just believing things I'd been told, you know. And so mm. um, I think, you know, Nate, me and you would probably have a lot more in common. Um, I, I have a lean. There was a point where I was, I was thinking I was going to be a, a full-blown five-point Calvinist. And uh, <laughs> now I'm kind of, I like what Mark Driscoll says. I, I think I'm a Calvinistic Arminianist. And so, uh, you know, again, though, these are, these are things that are left-handed to me. And uh, they are things that in the long run don't necessarily matter the most. And I can get past, mm-hmm. you know, all of those things. But that I know you love Jesus and that I know that the word of God is your authority and how you move forward and, and you have a heart for that. That's, yeah. that's what connects us. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a reason I call myself reformed and I don't use the C word. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I line up perfectly with any group out there. Me neither, man. Like I haven't met anybody that I, even my dad, my own father, like we don't agree on everything. And so, yeah, the cool thing is what I think we've missed in church is that we don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even line up with me most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I have went back and listened to stupid sermons that I preached. No, no. Haven't we all? And I'm going, what a moron this kid was. <laughs> yeah. Haven't we all? And that yeah. is what I love about the RFP is this movement is what you guys just described right there. It's not just lining up with everybody particularly, but it's it's all of us coming together and going to the scriptures and seeing what God is doing in our hearts and our lives. So it's awesome. Yeah. Brandon, thanks for being on here with us today, bro. You are a brother. You are part of the Recovering Fundamentalist family, and uh, you're our Pentecostal brother from another mother. And uh, man, I tell you, it, you, you had some good stuff today. And uh, we are praying for your wife as she wraps up treatment. And uh, we know that God is going to continue to use y'all in uh, some incredible music. Where can they find your music? Uh, we're all over. We're on iTunes, Spotify, all of that. If you want more information, you can go to our website, which is uh, brandonandalyssa.life. Um, and I would encourage y'all guys, um, I know this is a shameless plug, but I am, uh, I'm on a mission to um, help revive my wife from the, uh, the harshness of all the treatment she's already went through. And so um, I would ask if anybody feels led by the Lord, man, we're trying to raise $50,000 for this next stint of treatment. And uh, insurance is not going to cover it, or that's the mm. part that it's not going to cover. And so, um, you know, we've got to go fund me out there. You can go on our, our Facebook and uh, I'm, mine's Brandon Holt. Hers is Alyssa Holt. You can find it out there. But um, anybody who feels led or who was blessed, man, it would be a blessing to us to uh, help us. We'll tag that along on our social media there. Brandon, thanks for being a brother. And I love you, man. And I keep pointing people to Jesus, bro. Amen. Thank you all. Hey, RFP fam, we want to see you in Bourbon, Missouri, coming up August 26th, 27th, and 28th. Go to recoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the meetup tag and uh, reserve your ticket today. While you're there, go ahead and get you some soap. If you come to the meetup, you're getting free soap anyhow. It's Free Life Soap. You can check them out today. Use the promo tag RFP. Get 20% off of your order. Brian, Nathan, Brandon, it's been a great episode. And uh, I can't wait to see y'all here in just a few weeks in Bourbon, Missouri. Well, y'all have a good week. Be sweet. 
Peace. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast.